Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Joshua. Now, in recent weeks, maybe months, uh, we've been doing our scripture reading in three languages, and uh, this one was a bit long. (laughs) So I thought, well, I'll read it in English, and we'll provide the translation here on the screen. It's uh, from the book of Joshua. It's the last chapter of the book of Joshua verses 13 to 24. And uh, we should recognize that verse 13 is actually the Lord speaking. And then beginning in verse 14, uh, it's Joshua speaking about what the Lord has said. Joshua 24, verses 13 to 24. Thus says the Lord, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwelt in them, you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness, Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I chose that text because of this expression in it, Serve the Lord. And in fact, that is the uh, 
word in the text we've been studying for some time now in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And, uh, you know, if you have a Bible, you should turn there and look at it as we go. In Romans chapter 12, the first two verses, we read this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, we've been looking at these two verses, really the first one, for several weeks now. And we've talked about what comes before therefore, the whole book of Romans, Paul's great exposition of the gospel of the righteousness of God actually credited to those who believe on the basis of their faith so that they are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. So we've looked at the mercies of God and we've seen that this text says, in the light of God's glorious sovereign grace, because he has shown his great mercy to you, this calls for a response from you, from us, from each believer and from believers together. And that is that we would present our bodies a sacrifice to God. Now, it would be silly to say, well, we give our bodies as a sacrifice to God, but keep our minds. Well, that would be ridiculous. Paul really means present yourself all the way, including your material, physical body. Your material, physical body in this instance is called a spiritual service. Hmm. Well, we're going to talk about that today. He says, in the light of God's glorious sovereign grace, you really should trust yourself entirely to God. That's the meaning of that expression. Present your body a sacrifice, living, holy, pleasing to God. You really should trust yourself entirely to God. Place yourselves together. You Christians present your bodies a sacrifice. This is about the body of Christ, not just about the individual Christian. It's also about us together in the church. There's many bodies in one sacrifice. You really should trust yourself entirely to God. Place yourselves together in every aspect of life into his hands. That's what's called for if you consider the mercies of God. Last week we concluded with this question, is this sacrifice difficult to make? Because this sacrifice does in fact put you at God's disposal in other words, 
if I give myself to God in this way, I have taken on the obligation to obey God in every respect. Whatever he leads me to do, I, I've already set. I've, I've given up the option to say, well, you tell me what you want, and then I'll decide if I want to do what you want. No, this says in the beginning, you say, I am yours, I belong to you, and this carries with it an obligation of obedience. There's no other way of looking at this. It's to make yourself completely, entirely available to God and God alone. In other words, if I follow through on this advice from the apostle, I no longer am the owner of my life. Now, if I stopped for one second and thought about it, I never was the owner of my own life. And really, I'm recognizing things that are true already, even before I recognized them. But I am now making a decision with my own mind and my own will that I am his and that means I am no longer mine. And of course, Jesus told us that when I say I'm no longer mine, but I am his, that is when I really figure out who I am. He said, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever loses his life for my sake finds it. In other words, there's a promise of real, not phony, real liberty in this decision. But we stopped with this question, is this sacrifice hard to make? Because some of us have a hard time putting anyone else, even God, in charge of me. It's foolish, right? Because God is wiser than me. God loves me better than I love me. God knows everything. So for me to reserve myself from him is utter stupidity. To give myself to him is wise. Yet, yet, even now, I'm sure that some of us, maybe even me, we're thinking, ah, I just don't know. Because if I put God in charge, there's no telling what he might do with me. Well, so I want to answer this question. Is this sacrifice difficult to make? It might be. The answer to this question, though, depends entirely, entirely on your understanding to the answer of the answer to another question, which is this, is God good? If God is good, and I really understand that and really believe it, then this sacrifice isn't hard at all. 
And by the way, there's only one way to actually address the question, is God good? I'm, because you know there are people in the world who are making compelling cases that if there is a God, he is not good. You've heard those, haven't you? How do you explain what's happening in this world if God is good? That is not an easy question. Now, we believers tend to just kind of dismiss it, but it's a good question. Here is the only response to that question that is actually sufficient. Christ Jesus is the answer to the question, is God good? And the only sufficient answer, now I have seen God's goodness in many, many other ways. I was at a funeral service yesterday that was a great display of the goodness of God in many ways. And that's strange, isn't it? That you see that in a funeral service. But it was plainly visible in the testimony of a life transformed by the grace of God. The, do you see that that's only a subset of the big answer to the question, is God good? The answer to the question, is God good? The only sufficient answer is Christ Jesus, the Lord, our Savior. All other answers to the question may fail. That one never fails. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is good. Now you can see his goodness in other ways. You can see his goodness in the great abundant provision of creation. You can see his goodness in the creation of a human person who bears his image right before your very eyes. You can see his goodness when he provides for you in some particular way. But all of those are only subsets of this true, true answer to the question, is God good? The answer is Jesus Christ. For God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we're still sinners, his enemies against him, Christ died for us. God is good. Now I want to say one more thing about that. There's only one way you see the goodness of God in Christ. And that's by the work of the Spirit of Christ in you. 
This is described in detail in 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4. I've given you some references, I think, in the bulletin. 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. We, we're, we're blinded to the goodness of Christ by the, the God of this age. Our enemy, the Satan himself, has blinded all unbelievers so that when they look at Christ, they do not see the goodness of God in him. Jesus said this to Nicodemus. He says, don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Those who are born of the Spirit see Christ and recognize him as he is. The Son of the living God made flesh who gave his life a sacrifice for sin. Who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven where he ever lives to intercede for you and for me. God is good. And I came to understand that, not just because someone like me preached the word in my presence, but because when the word was preached, the spirit acted and I saw it as it really is. God is good. God is good not just for sending Christ, but also for sending the spirit of Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away, but not for, not really. I'm going away, and it's to your benefit if I go away. How can that be to their benefit? Because I'm not actually going away, because I'm sending the Spirit. And sending the Spirit is me coming back to you. So we dwell in Christ, and Christ dwells in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Stop, stop, stop for one second and think the living God, creator of all things, the third person of the living God, almighty, has condescended to actually indwell your life. Every day, all the time, he is present with you in the person of the Spirit. God is good beyond measure. God is good. And of course, all of that is provided in the person of Christ Jesus, the only right response, the only sufficient response to the question, is God good? So, now how hard is the sacrifice? It's no sacrifice at all. Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, you find it. Well, then you didn't ultimately lose it. You have it in the end of that sentence. When you give yourself to God, you find yourself yourself. And in God's hand, you are who he made you to be. And otherwise, you are not. It's a sacrifice in which you gain everything. Now, we're concluding this verse with this sentence, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
And the word that Paul uses here, all, all of that, service of your spiritual service of worship, is all in one word in the Greek language, latreia. Well, two words, sorry, because there's latreia and logikos. We're going to talk about these two words. Your service of worship, and Paul uses the word that is used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures for the temple service, and we've mentioned this before. So I've given you a list of references, uh, more than half of them are from the Old Testament, that are, that you, where this word, this particular, sorry, this particular word is used to describe the sacrificial service of God, the worship service of the nation of Israel. Same word. Paul is doing that on purpose, it seems to me. That's why I've titled this series The Christian Religion, even though if you know me, you know I really don't like to talk about Christianity in terms of religion. But this is the religion of the Christian to continually present yourself to God a sacrifice, living, holy, pleasing to him. And when you notice that you've crawled down from the altar, put yourself back. Because when you turn away and you claim, you stake, you say, I'll belong to myself for a while, Lord, thanks. You are the biggest loser imaginable when you do that. What an idiot a Christian who goes on his own. Now, I'm denigrating that person. I am that person a lot. I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't have to say, oh, wait, put yourself back where you belong. In fact, I think it's a good practice <laughs> at the beginning of all days to stop and remember this decision. I am his. I am not my own. Because he is good and I'm not so good. Well, this service of worship is, I think, elaborated in the book of Hebrews in response to the sacrifice to end all sacrifices made by the person of Christ. And in Hebrews 10, at the end of the chapter, there's a similar move, a therefore. Because if that's true, then this is what you ought to do. And it has three elements. Hebrews 10.22, draw near in full assurance of faith. Draw near in full assurance of faith. What does that mean? with total confidence in Christ. That doesn't mean work up in yourself some kind of thing you call faith. No, it means realize that in Christ you have it all. He's the source. He's the person that, has, that is making this happen. You have confidence not in anything except Him. Now, 
a lot of Christians, we tend to sort of play these mental games on ourselves, and I think the devil helps, to, to wonder about the quality of our faith. To wonder about, is my faith the kind of faith that really saves a person? And the question is not a question of how good is your faith. Your faith is not in your faith. It is in Christ. We use the expression, you're saved by faith. And if we understand that a particular way, that's true. We receive the gift of God's grace by the exercise of faith. But your faith is not the thing that saved you. Jesus did. And so when we talk about being saved by faith, we're talking about placing our confidence before God in our relationship with Christ. Draw near in the full assurance of faith. When you come to pray, you pray in Jesus' name. You literally pray in Him. And if you are not in Him, you have no right to pray. You have no standing to come before God and ask anything. But if you are in Christ, Christ prays with you, and the Spirit who dwells in you prays with you. And their help is essential. I pray like an idiot. I pray dumb stuff, Paul says it, about himself. We don't know how to pray. Fortunately, though, the Spirit prays with us and intercedes on our behalf and interprets our prayers before God according to the will of God. Here's what happens every time anyone prays according to the will of God. The answer is yes. Why would it be anything otherwise? If, if you say, God, I want what you want, God's going to say, well, I don't know if I want you to have what I want. <laughs> if I pray according to the will of God and according to Romans chapter 8, all my prayers when they reach the ears of the Father, have been adjusted by the Spirit according to His will, the answer is yes. Now, there's been a revision, so i got to keep my eyes open, because the end, when I receive the answer, it may not look like yes to me. But it is, and Christ Himself intercedes, and I'm standing there in Christ, or I couldn't be standing there. I draw near in full assurance of faith. I hold fast in Hebrews 10.23. It says, hold fast the confession of our hope. Fasten down. You guys are sailors. You ever fasten anything down? You fasten, when you're, when you're on a boat, you need to fasten some stuff down. You, on a plane, you need to fasten things down or they fly all over the place, they might even get lost. Here there's something to fasten down and that is the hope of our confession. Christ is coming for you and for me. 
He's not done saving you. Your salvation is sure and certain, but it's not over yet, and more is to come. Hold fast. You cling to the Lord's legs like a child to his father. You do not let go. You hang on. This is only sensible, knowing who he is. And then the last thing is consider one another in order to stir up love and good deeds. I'm called in this sacrifice to think about you. And this word consider isn't, it, doesn't, it means more than just be polite. It's not about, you know, I, I'm considerate to you. No, it means really think. It means really think. And, you know, to do that, you're going to need to really know someone to really think how to stir up love and good deeds. <clears throat> Your service of worship. All of these things, when we draw near, when we hold fast, when we consider one another, this is our worship service to God. This is our hallelujah to the cross of Christ. This is our praise Him, praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. It, it's insulting if we pretend to receive Christ and don't come to God in Christ. This is, he says, your spiritual service of worship. So it's not just your service of worship, it's your spiritual service. Now, I've presented to you in your bulletin here on the sermon notes a list of ways this phrase has been translated. And I included six different ways this is translated in English Bibles. You know, in English we have more Bibles than we need. In Papimento, as far as I know, there's two translations of the scriptures, and I've given you the translation of this expression in both of those here in your bulletin, and I've given you two different translations from Dutch versions of the Bible as well. And you might discover, if you look at all that, this, this must be a tricky thing to translate, because these things don't sound alike. I mean, they sound alike, but not the same. Well, except the Dutch, I think, are a little more consistent and more literal, I would say, in their translation of this expression. And their, their translations really sort of rely on the word for reasonable. And I'm not going to try to say it, because you would just laugh. The word in the Greek language is logikos. Does that sound like anything to you? <laughs> yeah, logic. Okay, so now I see reasonable. That's easy. Reasonable. How does it get to be spiritual? How did somebody decide, well, he really means spiritual? Well, the basic meaning of this word is rational according to sound thinking. And what we might need to notice is that in the 
in the prevailing worldview of the day in the people to whom this was written among Hellenistic Jews, reasonable and spiritual are synonyms. Because what's reasonable is spiritual. And it's a play against the material. You have the material thing, you know, wood. And then you have the idea of the thing, the spiritual element of things. And Paul is messing with this in this word. So he talks about you giving your body, a material thing, as a spiritual thing, a reasonable thing. And that's kind of what he's messing with. This is the worship that is rendered by the reason or by the soul of a person. The soul of the person determines the disposition of the body of the person. It's all one thing. We can talk about a body and a soul, but a person, a human being, is a body and a soul. And the design of God is for that to be a unified, integral, whole thing. And that's what Paul is getting at here, the whole thing. The whole thing, all there is of you is presented to God. Body, soul, mind, spirit, heart, whatever you want to call everything. And he's getting at this, like the very idea, the essence of worship. This is the essence of worship. This is why these translations that use the word true are are really pretty good. I like them. This is true worship. And uh, one of these translations in Dutch, I believe, uses that expression. True worship. Here's what I want to say. True, true. The real deal. The thing itself. If you want to say what is the very thing of worship, the answer is when a human being sees Christ and casts himself onto God. That's worship. When a person recognizes God's great mercy delivered to him in Christ and manifested in his life by the Spirit, that person tosses himself onto the altar of God's grace and finds his life by losing it, by saying it is no longer mine, but his. And when we gather for worship in church, this is what ought to happen. Now, we can have church meetings where we teach you the practicalities of life according to the wisdom of God's word. That's all good, sure. We can teach you from the Bible, you know, how to be a good husband, or that you, if you're a child, you should obey your parents, or uh, there's a long list of practical lessons we might give, but none of that is worship. Worship is when I see Christ and throw myself before God and say, I am, 
I am only yours, do with me what you please. Hallelujah, that I can be yours in him. That is worship. That's why we have to sing. We can't just talk about it. We got to sing it. And the scripture says we teach and admonish one another in our singing, making a joyful melody in our hearts before the Lord. Well, you could come in here and maybe you just enjoy singing. Okay, it's a perfectly good thing to enjoy singing. But if you are not enjoying the Lord in your singing, it's not worship. It's just singing, which is a fine and pleasant thing to do. But you don't have to go to church to do that. We come before the Lord in our singing in church, in our praying in church, in our gathering in church. Something you got to do in person, by the way. You can do it electronically if that's all you can get, but that ain't the same. This is true, true worship. The only way to really reflect a true understanding of God's goodness toward us in Christ is to come together and present ourselves to him, to trust ourselves entirely to the Father, in the Son, by the Spirit. Given what he has done, this is the only reasonable response. To do anything short of this, is not to think clearly. If I understand who Christ is and what he has done, what God, the triune God, has done through the ministry of Christ and by the giving of the Spirit, all from the Father, who is my Abba Father now that I am in Christ, I want to not just understand his goodness, but to be his goodness. So I put myself in his hand so that he can operate his grace, goodness in my life to your life. And vice versa. And more. That's what we're talking about. This is our spiritual service of worship. Praise God. You're a Christian, I hope. I'm I'm pretty sure about most of you. Pretty sure about me. But not because of the quality of my faith, but because because of the one in whom my faith is placed. It's all of him, not of me. And if I serve you in his name, praise God. And serve one another. Consider, think carefully about each other, how to encourage people to do good works. Do you hear the positivity of all these things? And this isn't your best life now, you know, think positive and positive things will happen. That's just stupid. This is Christ in you the hope 
of glory. Let us present ourselves to him, a living, holy, pleasing sacrifice. Father, we give you thanks. <laughs> Lord, it's really all we can do is to thank you and to belong to you, to hang on to you, to love you. And Lord, we know that when we love you, we really love each other. We want to be that exhibit. We want our church to be that exhibit of the very nature of God in this world. And we rely on you. We recognize that all of this comes from you to us, through us, to someone else. So, Lord, we do, in fact, present our bodies a living sacrifice before you at this moment. We look forward to see what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.